Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Listen, we're, we're going to read a, uh, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Paul's the most surprising disciple and apostle. How can he be apostle? He was never a disciple, right? He was never, he was never with the 12. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Paul wasn't uh, one of them, right? He wasn't converted until after Jesus had uh, ascended into heaven, after he left his earthly um, ministry. Paul, not only that, he hated uh, Jesus and he hated the followers of Jesus. In fact, he was killing the followers of Jesus. He is the most surprising, unlikely um, follower of Jesus. And then he becomes the primary missionary that spreads um, the truth of Christianity around the world. Um, And uh, he gets up into um, uh, modern day Syria and then modern day Turkey and to an area called Galatia. And what Paul would do is he would start churches in an area. He'd go into the town square. He'd, uh, he'd uh, tell them of Jesus. People would be curious. They would gather. Um, he'd go into the Jewish synagogue uh, that might be there. Uh, he'd proclaim Jesus. They would usually run him off. And, um, but he got enough people. He'd start a church. He'd train leadership. And then he would move on to the next region. But he would stay in touch with those churches by writing them letters, right? He'd hear of something going on in the area and he would mentor them through his letters. The New Testament is made up primarily of these letters, right? He writes to the church in Corinth and to Thessaloniki and and to to Rome uh, and to Ephesus, right? The different uh, letters. He also writes to people occasionally, Timothy, Titus, uh, Philemon. We have the letters of Paul make up uh, really the bulk of the New Testament. So here he writes a letter uh, to um, the Galatians. It's his first um, letter, he writes. And his letters, if you read them all, they all have a pattern. They all start, he, in an ancient letter, you would first identify yourself, right, the writer. We put the, that at the end of the letter, don't we? Um, and then you would put uh, who the audience was, who he was sending it to, right? That's the pattern. And then he would put um, words of greeting, right? A uh, natural way that you'd sort of uh, start any conversation, right, with greeting. And then he would have salutation. In other words, he would, he would commend them for something. So very often you read the letters of Paul and he'll say to them, uh, I never cease giving thanks for you, right? Uh, or thank you for the way that you have contributed to the, to the poor who are suffering back in Jerusalem. He'd have some letters of, of thankfulness. Guess what's missing in the letter to the Galatians? Paul has no commendation for them. He's mad. Got it? Let's stand up and read the first nine verses uh, and you'll see what I'm saying here. So Paul, there it is right there. See, he identifies himself. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Here he acknowledges his audience to the churches of Galatia. So this isn't a letter to one church. It's to a whole region of churches. And then he uh, offers that greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here's where the salutation, here's where the, the, uh, the kind words would come. And Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So normally he gives words of praise, but do you know what he says to this church? If anybody there is preaching contrary to what I taught you, let him go to hell. That's what it means. Let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. Wow. Let's pray. Jesus, this, um, this glorious good news, what you came into the world to rescue us, that required um, you, your work for us completely, it can be adulterated, this precious gospel. Oh Lord, be our teacher this morning. Help us to hear it in its uh, simplicity and its beauty. And Lord, would you do great gospel work in us? Would you change us forever? Through your gospel, we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. Why are we studying Galatians? Because this book has repeatedly been used to bring spiritual renewal and revival to the most resistant people. Galatians, it seems to be the tool that has brought new life, new insight to the most resistant people. You might be thinking, who, who are the most resistant people? You're thinking about Hell's Angels, Motorcycle Gang. You're thinking about hardened, tough cons. You're thinking about uh, drug cartels. Is that what you're thinking about? Um, thinking about teenagers or college students who are just defiant. Um, maybe you're thinking about sophisticated urbanites who, um, uh, who are sleek and cool and trained in uh, Ivy League institutions and, and too proud. No, no, no. I mean the most resistant people, church people um, and, and, and preachers. Um, you, you know, um, that's who, do you notice that this book isn't written to drug gangs. It's not written um, to hardened cons. It's not written to sophisticated suburbanites. It's written to who? It's written to churches. It's written to Christians. Do you know how often uh, non-Christians will say, um, you know what really bugs me about Christians? I mean, I can see that, that Christians in the church historically have done things that bless the world in profound ways, <clears throat> but they irritate the heck out of me, Christians. I don't like them. Because they want to um, point out our mistakes. They want to be critical of us. And they seem to be utterly blind to what's wrong with them. Why don't they preach to themselves before they preach to us? That's exactly what we're going to experience. This is a letter to the church. Paul's writing to us. Um, listen, the gospel is what renews Christians and churches and schools and families and marriages, the greatest revival to sweep um, the Western world, the great awakening 
began with a small group studying the book of Galatians. You know who was in that small group? John and Charles Wesley, right? And George Whitfield. Um, so how many of you are here? You know, listen, I'll admit, I was a pastor and I thought the gospel was what Christians had to communicate to non-Christians so that non-Christians would become converted to Christianity. I didn't understand that the gospel was for Christians. That the gospel is the very thing that Christians um, need desperately. And maybe today I'm asking, can you admit? Are you willing to be honest? Are you secure enough to say, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. But honestly, there's a lack of joy in my life that's really not befitting a Christian. There's a lack of peace. I, I am strangled with anxiety very often. Can you, can you admit that, that you struggle with shame? Struggle with shame. You, you hate yourself. You loathe yourself. Can you admit that perhaps the way you treat your spouse or the way you spend money or the way that you're pretty callous about needy people has not been, you know, these are areas of your life that have not been deeply impacted by the gospel. Can you as a Christian say, there are whole areas of who I am and the way I act and the way I think that the gospel needs to be pressed into those areas. So that's what we're praying for as a church over the weeks to come. What would happen if God came in our midst and pressed this gospel? We're not talking about salvation, though that might need to happen too, because goodness knows many people go to church who aren't even converted. The majority of people who are converted at our church are people who, when they walked in the door, believe they were converted. So the gospel being pressed in might actually lead to conversion. But it could also lead to growth in all these other areas of our life where the gospel needs to get pressed in by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we would pray that right now. Holy Spirit, come and have your way with us, right? You know, it changed, it changed Western culture, the gospel. So I don't think it's asking too much that it might change you. you ready? Let's go. Got a sermon outline? This renewal that comes from the gospel starts with truth. It rests on truth, right? Um, Renewal comes on a foundation of biblical truth. Paul is, uh, this is a polemical letter. letter. Paul's arguing in this letter. He's exercised. He's contentious, right? Um, Because the truth is at stake. He's fighting for people's lives. He's fighting for the gospel. He's fighting for Christianity. He's fighting um, for the truth. Now, the, the first thing Paul has to fight for is the truth about himself, right? So what's the first word he says in this letter? Paul, next two words, what? It's right up there. Paul, an apostle. So that was the charge. These false teachers are coming in. They're saying, don't listen to Paul. Paul's not right. Paul's got it all screwed up, right? He wasn't even one of Jesus' disciples. He's a fraud. He's not the real deal, right? Um, See, to be an apostle, you had to see the risen Christ. Did Paul um, see the risen Christ? Yes, on the road to Damascus. You remember when he's converted, Christ appears to him personally. You have to be discipled as Paul was by the risen Christ. You had to be personally discipled by Christ. So that's the first thing Paul says. They're saying, don't listen to this guy, right? And Paul is saying what in verse one? 
What I have is not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. I have been uh, appointed as an apostle. You understand, uh, apostle means you are one trained by um, Jesus and you are sent by Jesus. We do not have any apostles in the church today. I realize there are people who call themselves apostles. That means you are personally um, um, uh, trained by Jesus. That we have something the church didn't have way back then. And they had something we don't have. They had apostles. We don't have apostles, right? Um, what do we have that they didn't have? The Bible, right? We have the Bible. The apostles had to write the Bible, right? For us to be able to have it. Um, now we have the Bible. We have the words of the apostles, right? Uh, and we follow them. So this is truth. Um, the fight for truth. Gospel renewal comes uh, on the ground that there is a God, there is truth. Paul first has to fight for his own apostolic authority, but then his concern is this false teaching. Verse seven, he says, there are people who are troubling you. They're distorting the gospel. They're nullifying the gospel. And Paul, as you can see, he drops the gloves. Now, do you know what that expression means? If you're from the South, you often don't know what that expression means. That's a hockey term, right? So in hockey, they fight all the time. And you can fight with your gloves on. I mean, you can like smush somebody in the face with your gloves on, you know. You can smush them against the wall and stuff like that. But if you really mean it, you do what? You drop the gloves. And what are you saying when you drop the gloves? Come on, come on. Let's, uh, let's go at it. That's what Paul's doing here, right? Because the gospel's at stake. Your salvation is at stake. And he calls their teaching these these troublers, heresy, it's false, it's destructive. Let them be a curse, let them be anathema, let them burn in hell. Pretty, he's, pretty, uh, he's pretty exercised, isn't he? Um, and, and you guys, it's a terrible thing. When you mentor people, when you love people and you see them walk away from the truth. How many parents feel that way about their, their own children, right? Um, they walk away. And you see them walking towards destruction. It breaks your heart. Remember when Jesus uh, encounters what the Bible calls a rich young ruler. He's young. He apparently is an important uh, player in his community. And he's got dough. He's got money. And he says to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus asked him about the commandments, remember? And he says, I've kept all of them. And Jesus says, um, well, here's what you need to do. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And what does it say when he walked away? What did Jesus feel? He was sad. He was heartbroken, right? And people are so close uh, to the truth, um, but they walk away. As a pastor, I've seen it in this church. I've seen people come See them come two or three years, come alive to these things. I've seen the fruit in their life and in their parenting and in their families. And then all of a sudden, boom, a curtain comes down and they head the other direction. And, uh, and you just pray that God will interrupt them as they walk away from the truth. And, and I want to tell you, in not one circumstance could I tell you that their life, their family, their marriage, um, their health, their happiness improves when they walk away from Jesus. In not one case could I tell you that their life gets better. Running away from the fountain of life. Um, you know, um, this fight for truth. There is truth. We live in a day with soft thinking. You know, we live in a, a culture, in a country where, 
where, um, where we have pluralism. There's not a state religion in our country. And so people have the right uh, to claim anything they want. Um, to the, they have the right to their own opinion. But you can have the right to your own opinion. You, can't, you don't have a right to, to your own truth. There is truth. There's that, that which is true. It's, it's truly true. Because there is a creator. Because there's a God. John in his last, Jesus in his last prayer before the disciples, before he goes to the cross, prays to the Father and he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We have truth. We have the word. This is the word of the apostles. This is the word of God. There's a place in this world where you can go to find truth. We're not, we're not untethered. We're not just floating randomly through the world. We're anchored. If we have this truth, you can have opinions, but you can't have your own truth. People say, you know, 9-11 was a CIA plot. Yeah, whatever, right? That's what you get for watching CNN or Fox, right? Um, man didn't walk on the moon. Uh, the Holocaust didn't happen. Gender is a matter of personal choice. Listen, you can, you can medically alter yourself. You can physically alter your body. You can change your name. You can change the way you look but you cannot change your gender. You don't have that choice. What's true about you is true. You can say you're an ostrich. Some do. Um, And be gentle, but you're not an ostrich. Um, What we believe and what we believe, what we claim to be true, it matters. False ideas ruin culture and they destroy people. We know that Darwinism There is no God. Earth comes to pass through um, incremental change over millions of of years. There is no designer. There is no creator. There's no one in charge at the switch. Um, And uh, and, and one inescapable rule is that the strong um, destroy the weak. And that's how civilization uh, progresses and makes progress. And what do we get out of that? We get at Nazism. We get the Holocaust. We get millions and millions and millions of people dead uh, because there's people who believe the lie that there's an uber race, right? And we get also segregation and apartheid and the sterilization of black males all because people bought lies as the truth. There is truth. It matters and renewal begins when you get the security to know that God has revealed himself. He has given us his word. We have that word is truth. I remember R.C. Sproul was a theologian and became friends with uh, a man named Carl Sagan. And if you're kind of old like me, you remember Carl Sagan was a highly um, uh, um, known astronomer. He had a show on PBS as the most watched public program for years and years. It was called Cosmos. And Carl Sagan believed in the Big Bang and that's how everything came uh, to exist. And uh, Dr. Sproul, uh, um, theologian uh, and became friends with Carl Sagan and they had letters back and forth and uh, Carl Sagan would go, the big bang is the way it happened. You just have to accept that. And I remember Sproul saying to him, yeah, but what, what was before the big bang? Where did all that matter come from? And uh, Carl Sagan said, you want to know the truth? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea to which Sproul would want to say, I have an idea, Right? Truth matters. If you come from nothing, if the world is just a, pr- a product of, um, uh, of random forces, um, there is no creator, there is no God, then there is no heaven, there is no hell, then the powerful can enslave the weak, right? Because there is no right, there is no wrong, ultimately. 
lies, untruth, destroy families, cultures, people, the world. Truth matters. Um, Perhaps the most important thing you will do in your life is choose your source of um, truth, right? Um, I remember um, when GPS first came out, we had this thing, instead of a map, you, your phone would tell you where to go. You remember that? People ended up in fields. People ended up in canals, right? Because um, GPS, I'm gonna trust that GPS to tell me um, where to go. I remember in, in our community, um, in old Homosassa, people following their GPS, and it says, um, 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 you know, what's the Florida Cracker Kitchen on the right, and McRae's uh, boat dock there on the left, and you know what the road does right there? Yeah, car drove right into the Homosassa River, and the person drowned. Your truth, whatever you choose to trust as your truth, your guide, it better be right. It could cost you and your family everything. Do you know, last night after church, a guy came out and he told me this story. He said, my dad and I were in a constant argument. I said, the Bible's the word of God. It's true. It's, it's what you base your life on. And dad said, it's like Aesop's fables. It's got helpful stories. It's, it's, uh, it's made a great contribution to the literature of the world. But word of God and all that, it's a joke. They came to Christmas Eve service as dad came and he said, just so happened for some reason that Christmas Eve, you held the Bible up and you said, this is the truth. This is the word of God. He told me the next night, my dad at, uh, at Christmas dinner at our house looked at me and he said, you know, you know what you've been trying to tell me about the Bible? He said, I believe it. And he said, and this man told me last night, then my father said words I'd never once heard in my whole life out of his mouth. He said, you were right, and I was wrong. And he said from that day forward, his father was never the same man. He said his father hugged him that night. He couldn't remember his father ever hugging him, not since he was a little boy. And his father continued with affection and connection. I'm telling you, when you discover the truth, it has the power to renew your life. You with me? Second, Second, then, renewal rests on not only the truth, but rescue. The gospel is about rescue. It's a realization that we are the rescued. That's what it says, right, in, in Galatians 1, verse 3 and 4, right? It says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. We had to be rescued. No other religion is about rescue. No other religion says their founder was a rescuer. Muhammad, Buddha, and Confucius did not come to rescue. What were they? They were teachers. They came to teach. Jesus was a teacher too. He was a rabbi too. But he came to do something more than teach. He came to seek and save those who were lost. Um, listen, when Paul sums up Jesus' ministry, there's no mention of teaching. If you ask the average person, what's a Christian? They might well say, a Christian is someone who follows the teaching of Jesus. Now I could ask you, are you a Christian? You'd say, yes. Do you follow the teachings of Jesus? Okay, you have a chance to lie or you have a chance to tell the truth, <clears throat> right? Do you follow the teachings of Jesus? No. Well, sometimes <laughs> you try, you want to, but there's not a day in my life that I do what Jesus tells me to do all the time, always, right? 
So following the teaching of Jesus isn't going to get me um, into, into right with God ultimately. That's not it. No, I have to be rescued. Christians are those who rescue, are rescued. Why? Because we're helpless. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead people can't save themselves. Dead people can't follow teaching, right? If, if there's a dead person, you can throw them a book on CPR, right? You can throw them a book on why oxygen is important for their continued. They're dead, right? The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have to be rescued. If somebody's drowning, you don't, you don't stand on the dock and say, swim harder, cup your hands. You're just not doing it right, you know? No, you plunge into the water. They have to be rescued. On Wednesday of this week, I'm going to leave New York City and I'm going to go to LaGuardia Airport early in the morning and I'm going to get on a plane, a uh, Delta plane, and that plane's going to take off. And then for the first couple of minutes, I'm going to pray really hard. You know why? Well, you know what I'm going to pray? No birds, no birds, no birds. Because I still remember, and I bet you do too, not very many years ago when a plane took off from LaGuardia Airport and those engines ingested uh, some birds and the engines flamed out. And now you're in a plane with hundreds of people and you're up in the air and planes weigh a lot. And if the engines aren't working, then your fate is pretty well sealed, right? And so the captain of that uh, plane, Captain Sullenberger, Sully, you know, he's in that plane. And if I'm a passenger on that plane, I can't do a thing to help myself, right? I haven't got a parachute tucked under there. Um, and what that captain did is he looked over to Teterboro Airport in New Jersey in Bergen County and he said, when I don't make it there. He, of course, first thought about circling back and landing at LaGuardia and he said, I'm, I'm not gonna make it there. And so he found another runway and you know the story, don't you? It was the most unlikely runway you can imagine. It was called the Hudson River. And he landed the plane in the Hudson River and he saved all those people. It was a rescue, wasn't it? A rescue. Jesus enters the world and he saves us and we contribute nothing. Nobody on that plane contributed. Um, how does he do this? He gave himself for our sins. That's what the passage says. He doesn't tell us what laws and rules. The Bible doesn't say, here's the path to heaven. You follow it and you'll get there. No. He doesn't give us the rules, the path to follow. He rescues us by substitution. He lives the life we could not live. He keeps all the law of God that we do not keep. And he substitutes in place of us in punishment. He absorbs all the wrath of God that we deserved. He lives the life we could not live. He dies the death we deserved to die. We contribute nothing. Why does he do it? The Bible says, according to the will of God the Father, God sends Jesus to rescue us because he wants to. Because he wants us. Who wants us? God wants us. At the cost of his own son's life. What motivates the rescue is the pleasure of God. We contribute nothing. Martin Luther said, 500 years ago, so we have nothing to do to obtain this righteousness, this salvation, nothing at all. For this righteousness comes by doing nothing, hearing nothing, knowing nothing. But rather in knowing and believing this only, that Christ has gone to the right hand of the Father, not as our judge, but to become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our salvation. You know, sometimes people come to me and they say, Pastor, 
I can't be a Christian. You have no idea the life I've lived, the things I've done, the things I'm still gonna probably do. I can't be a Christian, I'm not qualified. To which the only response is, you're right there. That's the profession of a Christian. I am not qualified. So I need Jesus. The only hope I have is Jesus. John Gerstner said, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But most people just don't have it. They can't see that they have nothing. Um, you know, there's a, there was an earthquake in Haiti a decade or so ago, and it was horrific. Tremendous stories uh, came from that, and one was of a, actually an American girl. She was in a school. It's a hurricane uh, um, collapsed. I mean, this, tornado, this earthquake collapsed the school, and she was buried there. And her brother was 90 miles away when that happened. Now, this is 90 miles away in Haiti. And this is after the worst earth, earthquake ever. So, you know, the roads are torn up. Um, um, buildings are in the way. Um, People are out in the streets, uh, emergency vehicles and whatever going everywhere. And he's got to go 90 miles to try to find his sister. And he did. And he got to the school where she was and he found her and he pulled her out of the rubble from which she could not extricate herself. He rescued her. And this is what she said. I was rescued because my brother thought of no one else. He would not rest. He aimed himself to find me, and he found me. That's what Jesus did. You have a brother, too, who did that for you. That's the gospel. So you ready? Built on truth. It's about rescue. And third and last of all, we cannot let it be um, distorted, this gospel. The gospel has the power to bring renewal, but it has to be um, protected, right? That's why Paul is uh, apoplectic, right? He, he's astonished, you know, he says in, in verse six, I'm astonished. Today we would say, Paul would have said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me how quickly you're deserting? You're abandoning, you're nullifying um, what I taught you. Teachers had come to Galatians saying, Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, you need Jesus to be right with God. But you also have to keep the Jewish laws. These were Jewish teachers saying, um, clearly you have to become Jewish. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the cleanliness laws, the dietary laws, all of that, or you are not right um, with God. They were teaching that the gospel was Jesus plus your obedience, right? You must add to what Jesus has done. Jesus, not, not Jesus alone. That's not enough. And Paul is angry. He says this is a different gospel. You can't make that. You can't add anything to it without destroying it, right? The gospel is. Here's what the gospel is. Here's what Paul taught. We are saved by grace alone. Grace, the word means what? Unmerited favor. That means you have favor with God that is unmerited. You have no merit with God. But I'm better than, I'm better than, you're looking around, look around you right now. You're better than those people. It doesn't matter whether you're better than anybody. You have no merit with God. You have not kept the laws of God. 
You have no merit with God. Grace is unmerited favor. God loves you even though you haven't merited his love and affection. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus obedience. You got it? Um, It's Jesus chooses me, sets his love on me, saves me. He does it all completely. Done deal. It is finished. It is over. And then as I come to understand that, I obey him. So you say, doesn't obedience have something to do with it? Yes, yes. It's the response of a, of a saved child, a well-loved child, a redeemed child, the child of God. Yes. Yes, when we, the more we understand the love of God and what he's done for us, the more we obey. But that obedience doesn't make it. See, for so many, it's, it's, it's obey. And because you obey, because you achieve some standard of dedication to God, then you become the beloved of God. That reverses the gospel. That destroys the gospel. Um, and how is, this, how is this adulterated today? We, we know this. You're saved by Jesus. Some churches would say, and your complete surrender. Jesus plus your obedience. Listen, I think this was, this was the gospel I probably preached in the earliest years as I was pastor of this church. I remember a guy, a famous preacher said one time, what's the, somebody asked him, what's the bare minimum to be a Christian? I mean, what gets you just over the line? The bare minimum. And you're still going to heaven. And I remember this preacher looked at the crowd and he said, the bare minimum is everything. And I remember going, ah, hands to the plow, no turning back. We're going to be the Marine Corps of Christians. We're going to fight from the front. We're going to take the hill. We're going to be the few, the proud, the Marines. Well, we were close. We were the proud, at least. Um, no, you know, the problem with that, I remember, the, I remember saying those words in one service and it struck, suddenly hit me, you don't give everything. You're not, you're not all in. You're never completely obedient. In fact, you're, 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 you're awful. Um, it's Jesus plus nothing. You're not saved by your complete surrender because nobody completely surrenders, right? Saved by Jesus. In his complete surrender for us. Some churches, it's Jesus plus, you know, sort of Christian cultural conformity through the years. These, these mores changed through the years, but some of you will recognize them. Jesus plus no tattoos. Jesus plus no swearing. Jesus plus no long hair. I got one. I got one. Um, <laughs> Jesus plus, you know, no dating. That became a thing about 20-some years ago. Um, Jesus uh, and no drinking, no smoking. And, and here's one through all the ages, Jesus and no coffee in the sanctuary. Um, all these add-ons, you know, for years I've gone uh, to lunch with uh, uh, people, often with men and when the bill is brought and if this man's a businessman, uh, uh, whatever, retiree, they have some means, um, they are used to paying the bill, particularly when they go out with a preacher. It's a system that I'm fond of. Um, 
But early in my ministry, I just decided we're gonna try a little experiment. So I try to make arrangements. I try to be quick, whatever I had to do so that I paid the bill. And every time, I'm just telling you, you saw the most unbelievable squirming. No, 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 I got it. No, 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 no. And sometimes it almost, I mean, it was like a wrestling, an aggression. Oh, I've got it. And, uh, and, and literally it was already paid and there was nothing they could do. You just see. And so what would they immediately say? I'll get it. Next time I will have to have you over. I have to do something to pay the bill. Um, listen, that's our problem, isn't it? Um, is it Christianity? And I would say to them, you know what? You need to get the gospel. Because Christianity demands that you live in the reality that somebody else paid for you. Somebody else paid for you. And you contribute nothing. Every day I struggle to not feel I have to pay the bill. Every day. I still struggle. Every day I struggle with feeling like I have to prove myself worthy. Worthy to be a pastor. Worthy to have the respect of my wife or my children. Worthy to be a leader in Christ's church. I have to make myself worthy. Every morning I want to make it Jesus, yes, plus my dedicated life. So every morning I have to hear one word afresh. The word is tetelestai. It's an Aramaic word. It's the word that Jesus said on the cross. It's his last word. It means what? It is finished. Literally it means the debt is paid. If you went into a shop and you owed them some money for the goods you'd gotten there and you brought the money to pay your bill, they would stamp the word on your paper to tell us die. The bill is satisfied. It's paid. Every morning, I have to hear it afresh. Rest, my son. Rest. To tell us die. I paid it. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org. 